never stop dreaming, never stop believing, never give up, never stop trying, and never stop learning. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Today we're doing another season preview. It's going to be the Cleveland Cavaliers and to talk about the Cavs, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast and that is Chris Manning. Chris, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks as always for having me. In the past, the, the Cavs preview has always been uh, a bit of a shorter one because everything's been pretty much you know, straightforward. We've understood what's going to happen. This year, there's quite a few question marks regarding this team and how everything is going to shake out. So, Chris, you're going to have a little bit more work this year. Let's start by talking about the projected record for this team. You've got them at 37-45, and 45, well above the Vegas total of 30.5 wins. It's I guess it depends on you know, how the organization sees the future. They've said they're going to try and compete. But what's your your reasoning behind going above this Vegas total as much as you have uh, here with that 37-win projection? I I tend to think that this is a team that is going to try to win, and they have a number of competent players. So I I think with that in mind, I think it's a team that is going to try and do some things. I think that the fact that they're in the weaker conference helps them. Now, I I would add that I think I could be completely wrong. It would not shock me if this team is a tire fire. Um, I have no idea how they're going to defend anybody. If this really a lot depends on Jetty Osman and Colin Sexton being good, it, it means Larry Nance taking some kind of leap. It means Kevin Love is really, really good, and all of those things are not guaranteed by any means. But I, I went team is going to make an effort to try and be like the eighth seed. Uh, it's a bad conference, and they have a number of good players, but it's totally possible that I am very, very wrong, and that that wouldn't shock me either. And there's something kind of interesting, but also if you're a, if you're for the Cavs, there's something scary about that too. Yeah, look, and that's that's part of the reason why there is so much uncertainty with this team. We don't know, A, which direction they're going to go with playing either their established guys or their young players, how those players are going to perform. Is Are these people like Kevin Love, George Hill, these established guys that you know, have had trouble staying healthy for seasons and haven't really been able to do that over the last four to five years? How does that actually play out? How you know, Where are they in their career? Is the decline real for someone like George Hill? How does Sexton and Osman play out? There's so much that can change with this team. But let's start with Kevin Love who you have listed as your projected leading scorer on this team. I don't think really anyone would have any argument with that. Now, people look at this, LeBron James leaving, of course, no Kyrie Irving uh, on Cleveland. So he is back to being the man. Now, when he was the man in Minnesota, we're talking about a guy who was averaging 26 points, you know, 12, 13 rebounds, four, four and a half assists, and being a top 10 fantasy guy. But of course, Kevin Love is four years older now. The game has changed somewhat. I don't see a full return to Minnesota, Kevin Love. But I still think that he can come in and, and comfortably top the 20-point-per-game mark. But I guess the big question is, Chris, is that Ty Lue had been hesitant to play Love over 30 minutes per night. Will he push that and go, well, we need you out there as clearly our best player now? I, I think he has to play over 30. I think maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's only, it's an arbitrary over 30, like 32, 33. But I think he's going to be asked to do more. I think you, know, you want him on the court as much as possible as long as his health holds up. I think... Um, you know, now I think they, they obviously are going to take less of a long view. Yes, they're maybe going to play for the for the playoffs and trying to get the eight seed or something. But 
you don't have the the expectation they're going to be playing you know October to June now you're at best you know you're getting to 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 mid to late April I think that's kind of what you're hoping for so that that's a much shorter window and if Love is healthy which isn't a guarantee he does have all these little injuries added up I think he has to play you know, over 30 minutes a night, because not only do you want him anchoring the offense, but you want him on the floor with Colin Sexton. You want him on the floor with J.D. Osmond, so they're not being asked to do too much too early. Um, and he and he's the one guy on the team that I think you can guarantee, on paper at least, is going to make everybody better from day one. He's a guy who's got a pretty pretty um, poor rank on Yahoo. 40th is his uh, rank for the season, ADP of 35. I think he can cut that number in half. I think he's a top 20 sort of a guy that should put... He only played 28 minutes a game last year. I think he pushes back over 20 points per game. And one important thing that maybe is going overlooked is the fact that his assists were so, so low during his time in Cleveland. 1.7 last year, 1.9 the year before, 2.4 before that. Whereas Minnesota, we're talking 3.54 assists per game. I think he gets the ball in his hands more this season. And he's able to do more of that passing because LeBron James isn't dominating the ball as much as he was. So I think we're going to see that along with the, the increase in minutes, the increase in scoring and usage, but that increase in assists, which could very comfortably double this season should see Love's numbers really, really jump up. And I think he's a strong second-round guy. If you can stomach the risk of injuries, which he's had numerous ones, back, hand, knee, all these things, concussion, all these things over the past couple of years, which have limited him. And he hasn't played last year 59 games, uh, the year before 60 games. So he hasn't played over 70 games in, in, since the 15-16 season, which is all a concern clearly. But he should be able to take some pretty significant leaps forward and putting some um, interesting uh, interesting numbers up, which I think will surprise quite a few people. But it won't quite be back to that Minnesota Kevin Love type of uh, type of numbers. We asked uh, all the hosts, Chris, to, to list a breakout player. You went with Chetty Osman. I uh, totally agree with you. I would be penciling him in as the starting small forward at this at this point. Uh, you're getting up, pushing up to close to that 30 minutes per game. Is that what you see from uh, from Chetty coming into this season? Yeah, I also just think he's a guy that, um, by virtue of LeBron being there, is just going to have to play more. I think he did some really interesting things in very limited minutes as a rookie. So I do think it's worth noting that there is going to be a learning curve for him. But if you look at what he projects as as an NBA player and what he might get asked to do this year, I just think there's a, a really big opportunity there for him. I think if you look at what he was playing with the Turkish national team at Eurobasket uh, before he came over last season, this is a guy that was doing a, a little bit of everything. He was uh, pushing the ball to the floor, getting some pr- uh, good assist numbers, rebounding the ball, creating an avocado defense, making some shots. And his shot is the one weakness to me that I'm, I'm a little concerned about right now. We don't really know how good of a shooter he is or how consistent of a shooter he is, but his jumper is decent enough. He can do some of these other things well and it's able to play more minutes and handling that is a um, that there's going to be a huge opportunity there for him. I think last year he did earn Tyler's respect. I think there's just a lot of minutes available for him at the three spot, uh, just because LeBron is not there anymore. And I, I hope, I think the hope is that he could develop really nicely this year. And if and if I'm him, I'm going to try to, to do more because I think the opportunity is there for him to really take um, a somewhat of a of a leading role in this team, for better or worse. I, I do think that opportunity is just there for him, and I, I think. Colin Sexton's going to struggle because he's a and, and Jetty maybe has less of that just because he, he was around um, a very good team last year for a full season. 
interestingly for him, like in summer league, he only played the two games, but he averaged over five assists per 36 minutes. And I think he's going to have to take on a little bit more of a playmaking role. We saw him do it to a degree over the final seven games he played last season where he did average five assists per 36 minutes in that stretch. But one thing I want people to be aware of is, yeah, Osman was a 56% free throw shooter last season, but he is not a bad free throw shooter. His career in Europe, he has always been a solid, if not, you know, not an excellent free throw shooter, but a 70, 70 plus percent type of guy. Is there any reason why he was such a poor NBA free throw shooter? Was it a first season nerves, where do I fit in type of thing? I expect a pretty significant jump in that free throw percentage last season. But can you like assure people that he this isn't a, a career defining thing for him to be a sub 60% free throw guy? Yeah, I would be surprised if if that was the case. Um, he's someone that I think it's the sample size is really small. I think uh, he's adjusting to the NBA. I think he a lot of it is he's got to just get more reps doing that kind of stuff. I, I think there's reason to believe that he's going to be a, a good shooter across the board. He, I think he just needs time and, and a little more time to develop that jumper and, to, and just some, some real live game reps. And just I think we need a bigger sample size to really uh, kind of gauge him because I think if you look at just his minutes total last year, it's not, not a real sample size for what he's going to be. His last season in Europe playing for Anadolu FS, he shot 76% from the line. The year before that, he shot 70% from the line. The year before that, he shot 68% from the line. The year before that, 66. So it had been a 66, 68, 70, 76. So a constant improvement up to being a really good free throw shooter. And that last season at Anadolu FS, he took two free throws a game over 70 games. So we're talking almost 150 shots. Last season, it was quite a low amount. Um, he, let's have a look. He took, um, uh, where's his free throw attempts? Trying to find that from last season. Duh, duh, duh. Uh, it's running for 20. He only, he only hit 26 free throws last season on 46 attempts. So we're talking a really, really low percentage. If he hits an extra five, five free throws, then we're talking about a guy who is in you know, pushing to 70%. So that's the difference there. So don't look at him and go, man, he's going to kill my free throws. I don't believe that's going to be the case. I think he pushes to 70% plus. I think he's a great fantasy value guy ranked outside the top 200 on Yahoo. Yeah, his ADP is coming to 140. I still think he can beat that. And he's got a shot at a top 100 guy, but it's all going to come around to... Is the shot going to remain efficient? Can he can he provide some efficiency with his shooting? And will he get those minutes? And I, along with you, seem to think that he will uh, he will be able to do that. So Chetty Osman's an interesting guy for this season. Now, at the at the moment, Chris, the Cavs haven't filled out their entire roster, but they do have their two two way guys, John Holland, who played a little bit last season and is significantly older than most two way guys across the NBA. So I don't think we need to talk too much about him. But Billy Preston, the uh, the man, the unknown man who was kicked out of college, went and played like two games over. In Europe, in Lithuania, I believe, came and played some summer league. How did Preston look there? And you know, given the fact that this roster isn't completely full, are we going to see anything from him this season? I think he's a ways away. Um, I think he's a guy that, if you look, he went and played in Europe after he left last year, or left year, left Kansas last year, did not go well. Um, I think it was only there a couple games, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I think it's some. Um, yeah, the the summer league was interesting. You clearly see it, an athlete, and you see a guy that has the potential, and you see sort of why he was so highly touted. But I think he's got a long way to go. Um, I I would be very surprised if he played any real uh, role this season. I I think if you're looking at uh, something in that regard of someone on the fringe coming up, the Cavs are going to probably go into camp with only 14 guys guaranteed. They're going to leave a roster spot open. Isaiah T- Isaiah Taylor would be the guy that would be most likely. Uh, to get that spot, uh, he comes from the Hawks uh, from last year, but maybe that guy doesn't make an impact either. But I, I, I to, about Preston, I, I think if you're looking at him as someone that 
is going to be an NBA player. It's not going to happen, I think, for two to three years. I think maybe next year is a year he's on the roster if he has a good year and you, know, you want to make sure you keep him around because you did put in that work into him. But I think for this year, um, he's, he's going to be mostly spending his time in can with, you know, maybe he, he uses up his days, but he's just traveling with the team to get that experience as well. This is a team, obviously, with probably the most significant change, uh, maybe outside of the Lakers, LeBron's new team, in terms of what they're going to look like next season. So what do you expect in terms of difference in this team? Do you think the team plays faster without LeBron there? Are they going to be running things more through Kevin Love, especially out of the post with, with passing and him doing those outlet passes we saw so much from Minnesota? Will there be a change in Ty Lue's game plan, playing style with this new look Cavs team? I think they're going to play faster. That's that is sort of what they're talking about. It's something that they talked about last year, um, and and I think it fits everybody. You know, you know, Kevin Love is going to be someone who does get a lot of half court touches and does get a lot of touches that you think, okay, this isn't going to be fast. But what Jetty likes to do is get up the floor and run. And he likes to move. Uh, he likes to to get up and attack. Um, Colin Sexton, I think, is that same type of guy. <laughs> um, I think that this roster is very much built to attack. I think you look at Kevin Love. His outlet passes are going to create fast breaks. And guys like Larry Nance, guys like Tristan Thompson, pretty much all the guys that you're going to be thinking are going to you know, do interesting things on this team or ha- you have, we have interesting questions about, pretty much all of them, I think, um, are, are guys that like to play fast. And I think it's something that LeBron is one of those guys that will drag you into playing in the half court. And if he's not there and Ty keeps saying they want to play fast, I would not shock me if this team is running a lot more. And I think that and just relying on that hustle as a way to do it, I think is I'd be very surprised if they came out and were just running a lot of half court sets. That to me would be um, a waste of everything and just frankly, just kind of weird. Yeah, I can see them increasing their pace to maybe three possessions per game, which does help for these guys getting those extra numbers. So I think that is, you know, that's the likelihood to me there without LeBron. And again, with guys like Nance and, and with Sexton and with Osman guys who will run and run and run, that's going to increase their, that pace. So that is important for us to realize when looking at this team uh, compared from this season to last season. Let's uh, let's talk about the player that you've listed as most likely to be traded, and that is Kyle Korver. We've heard whispers already through the offseason of maybe him heading to Philadelphia. He is uh, 37 years of age. Um, you know, was a, was a great option as a catch-and-shoot guy next to LeBron, but of course his usefulness on this team is probably wasted. Um, even if he doesn't get traded, where does he sort of fit in this rotation with Osman probably pushing for more minutes, with Hood, with J.R. Smith in that mix? Like, is he going to see his minutes go down this year i think so i think he i i think he's just someone that has the least comfortable fit um i think he's someone that you you know i think other teams he definitely could help other teams like i think really makes sense for him if the, if the deal makes sense i think a team like new orleans he can make sense for um i i think he has his limitations especially if you think about how he plays against the warriors but it's not as if you know kyle corver is washed up but i also think the Cavs have to be thinking about youth as much as they say they want to win you know, you need minutes for uh, Collins, as many minutes for Collins Sexton as you can get. You need minutes for Rodney Hood to try to develop him. You need minutes for Jetty. It's not as if, you know, any of these guys are going to not get minutes because of Corver, but if Corver's playing 20 minutes tonight, that's taking away minutes from guys. And, and, and I think if you're the Cavs, you, if you are going to try to make the playoffs and you let's say that happens, you know, that it means you're, you're going to lose your first run pick next year. Maybe you don't get a first for Corver. Maybe you get a second run pick or two seconds or something, but at least then you're getting another asset as well. So I think in, not just in terms of the guys they have right now, but in terms of at least getting some kind of pick 
in future years, so they they do have more chances to get good young players to develop. I I think Corver just makes the most sense and should be the easiest out of anyone to trade. Just his salary numbers lower. He has a pretty easily uh, applicable skill set to other teams, and I I would be maybe it doesn't happen before the season, maybe it doesn't happen at all, but. I would be kind of surprised if he's not gone by the trade deadline. The guy that a lot of people want to hear about on Cleveland is their draft pick, first-round pick number eight, Colin Sexton. A lot of people are tabbing him for rookie of the year. Some people are tabbing him for the best rookie in this class, even from fantasy production for this season. I am not one of those people. Um, I think that his game uh, from a real-life perspective and from a fantasy perspective is quite limited. But at this early point, Chris, we're looking at him as not being the starter to begin the year, but probably taking over from George Hill at some point. What what do you see from Sexton, um, and when do you think that change could be happening? Is it dependent on a Hill trade, or is it just they're just going to make that switch you know, at some point and go, well, we just need to see what we've got from Sexton? Or is he going to be in that situation where he can play alongside George Hill, which I 100% believe that he can? Yeah, it's interesting to say that he can, you believe he can play in that because, in my opinion, the ideal Cavs starting lineup, or some version of it, involves George Hill and Colin Sexton uh, starting together. Yeah. I just think that makes a lot of sense to get him minutes with Kevin Love and get him more minutes as possible. Um, I, I think Se- it's interesting to me that Sexton was like, he was like tied with DeAndre Ayton for favorite of rookie of the year. If I remember correctly, in the rookie survey, that to me was a little bit optimistic. I think he's a guy that's maybe he's going to have some really explosive moment, be asked to do a lot. I think they do believe in him, but he's also, he's a he's a rookie point guard. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. There's going to be for him as he adjusts to into the NBA and the NBA for the first time. And uh, in, we just don't know, frankly, what kind of player my coach Tyler is going to be. He has a coach in this situation with developing a young kind of giving him giving the right on a leash versus you know knowing when to to rein him in a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's that's a factor in this too. We just need to see how Ty approaches this. And uh, I got to talk to Colin. I've talked to him a little uh, once in an interview, and uh, just from people I've talked to, I don't think they they firmly have fleshed everything out, or if they have fleshed everything out, or have at least a broader idea. Um, I, I do think it's something that is it, going to evolve, and they're going to you know play it pretty close to the vest until it gets time to actually play preseason or regular season basketball. ESPN has him ranked 118th. Yahoo's got him outside the top 200 at this point. And I think ESPN, that's probably a little bit high because my worry with Sexton is this, is that he is a guy who deserve or not deserves, needs high usage to have some level of effectiveness. He did score 19.5 points per game in Summer League on a usage of 32% with a true shooting of 51 and hitting just 23% of his threes. That's the concern. In fact, he only even took th- uh, less than two threes per game. He's a guy that doesn't get high assist numbers, he doesn't get steals, he doesn't hit threes, and he's going to be inefficient. And all those things add up to a guy that maybe he can be like a, it's like Andrew Wigginsy type numbers, except he's just not going to be a 20 point per game scorer. So I think expecting him to have People say, and you know, I hear this all the time. They're just going to give him the keys. You know, look, we've got to realize there are still you know, quite good players in this team who are considerably better than Sexton. I'm not sure Sexton ever becomes an upper-level NBA starting point guard. They will want to see what they've got in him, but the way his fantasy game looks at this point, it's just not well-rounded. He's not a high-assist guy. He is a high-usage guy. He might be an aggressive defender because he makes noises and scouts, but it doesn't mean he generates steals. So that's not going to really help us in a fantasy point of view. And I know people are going to comment on this, oh, man, you're sleeping on him. I know he's cool. He's got a Jedi braid. That's that's awesome. But (laughs) he needs to be able to put up these other peripheral numbers for us to really care about it. 
in a big way for fantasy. Yeah, maybe he comes out and scores 20 points per game, but if he's doing that on 41% shooting and hitting less than a three per game and getting you three assists and, and 0.8 steals, then it's not all that valuable. So he's got to be able to bring those other numbers up. Didn't do it in summer league, didn't do it in college. And yes, people can develop, but everything that shows us about his game and, and the profile of his game game isn't quite at that level yet plus I don't think he's not coming in and getting 32 minutes out of the out of the gate he probably starts at 20 ramps it up to 30 by the end of the year but you know finding where that crossover is going to be is going to be tough and we know rookies in general they suck they struggle with efficiency they struggle with decision making they struggle with everything and Sexton's not some uh, guy who's you know, out of the box here and a yeah, complete uh, exception to that rule so I just if you're taking him outside the top 100 120 you're fine yeah take that risk on him but I think you'll find in the first couple of weeks of October and through November that he is you know, actively hurting your team and you probably move on. And at that point, you know, I don't think that there's these big, you know, he's not going to come out and average 20 points and seven assists down the stretch of the season. That's just not the sort of game that, uh, that he has. Well, and I would also add, just look at how he's attacked in summer league. If you go back and watch the film, this is a guy that um, was doing a lot of attacking in the mid range, was attacking, was kind of struggling to finish at the rim a little bit, kind of yep. doesn't seem to have the quite right feel for some of this yet. Um, he's certainly aggressive and, and that got him some fouls and I, and I like that part of his game quite a bit. But I think he has a lot of work to do in knowing when to be patient, knowing when to attack and really, and he, he does need to prove that he can shoot. And I think that is, is maybe as big of a concern as anything. Um, and, and we just need to see how it's totally possible he looks overwhelmed on day one and just isn't ready to, uh, you know, a play against NBA defenses and struggles struggles with that, and that could severely limit him as a rookie, even if we, we really like some of the aspects of him. Of course, we could just be completely wrong on this. He could come out and blow us all away. I think that's probably unlikely, but it, it is a possibility. Now, the guy who's probably going to be starting in that point guard spot, in, in that projected starting five, you've got George Hill, the plumber, J.R. Smith, Chetty Osman, Kevin Love, and Larry Nance Jr. Um, Smith, uh, let's start with George Hill, actually. I think he's a, an underrated late-round point guard. Again, at some point, he will probably lose minutes, but we saw at times, you know, back in the, the old Paul George days in Indiana when George was injured, George Hill was a top 40 type fantasy guy. In his season in Utah, he was putting up top 50 numbers when he wasn't hurt. Struggled in Sacramento, and maybe he's past that now, which is a huge possibility. But at least for the beginning of the season, Hill's going to be starting. He's going to be playing a decent chunk of minutes. He's efficient. He'll get you some assists, some steals. He hits some threes. He'll do just an, enough of, of these little things to be useful as that late-round guy who then you can cut his ass later on. But at this point, we, we if we get healthy George Hill, he's a guy that, that can play Chris. Yeah, I agree, and I think they are going to play him a lot. Even if you know he plays with Sexton, I think he's a, around a thirty-minute-a-game guy. Yeah. Like it's possible. Um, I think he's a guy that you know he he shot the three really, really well last year with Sacramento. I believe dipped off a little bit with the Cavs, but um, was was a really good three-point shooter in Sacramento. And we'll see what his his mood is like too. I think that's a factor in this. He was very unhappy. Um, in Sacramento last year, and I think he was happier to play on, on a good team and trying to compete for for a title. On um, getting back to sort of what he had in Utah and what he obviously had in Indiana, but you know th- this this very possible this could be a more frustrating year for him, and how that affects him to me um, would be would be one of the subplots of him. But just what does that mean for his defensive play and his steals? What does that mean for his just you know his uh, his focus in the offensive end? Does he kind of get frustrated with, with the situation that he you know didn't think he was necessarily getting traded into even if he knew it was a possibility I'm certainly sure he was he was hoping LeBron was going to stay in terms of his what is quite likely his last year with the Cavs and that's a factor too he only has one million guaranteed on his contract I think after this season yeah, right. um I, I think that you know maybe that factors in it too that it is a quasi contract year for him um 
J.R. Smith, who you've projected here to start at shooting guard, I'm, I, look, he was bad last year. I don't think there's any, any getting around that. He is, you know, 33 years of age now, averaged only eight points in 28 minutes. I expect Smith's playing time to dip pretty significantly this season. I think that there is a chance that if they do bring back Rodney Hood, that Hood will start in place of Smith, at least, you know, at some point in the season. Do you think that we're going to see Smith's numbers uh, tumble pretty considerably? Because it was pretty clear that last year Ty Lue wasn't a massive fan of Smith. He did bench him for Dwayne Wade, and maybe there was some pressure there from Smith and from the other, others in the organization to put him back into that spot, even though Wade clearly wasn't playing well in his role. What do you see for Smith this season? He's nowhere near a fantasy option, because even in 30 minutes a night, he just provides nothing. But um, it feels like it's a, a big demotion coming for JR. Yeah, I agree, and I, I you know we'll see what his focus levels like too. We'll see what he looks like as he's another year older, another year with a lot of minutes on his body. What his focus levels like? Um, I, I, and I, you know, let's see if he doesn't start. What does that mean for him too? I, I don't really know what to expect from him. And I, I would also note that my, I, my, I think the best starting lineup for the Cavs that that sort of fits the both realities they're facing involves him coming off the bench. Yep. Um, I think that's the best role for him. I, I actually think he'd be better off going to a contender if they could find a way to get him like Philly or something like that. But um, if he's on the Cavs, I think he'll probably shoot a lot when he's on the floor. And what that what that sort of looks like and how efficient he is, I think we we kind of all know that what Dare is going to be and what and what he is at this point in his career, what he's sort of always been. Yeah, and the answer to that is, at this point, not a good fantasy player. The other member of the starting lineup we haven't touched on, or your projected starting lineup, is Larry Nance Jr. We don't know if he's going to start. They went with Tristan Thompson a lot. I thought Tyloo misused Larry Nance last season. He was excellent when Thompson and Love were out after the trade and then got really minimal, minimalized. I'd love to see that Love-Nance pairing work. I don't think they're going to play him 30-plus minutes, but he's a guy that I think is a real steal in fantasy drafts, ranked outside the top 110 on Yahoo, ranked outside the top 130 on ESPN, and he should be a top 100 guy, even in limited minutes. Do you think that Lou will actually go and try and develop this Nance-Love combination? They've come out and said, you know, he's a key part of our future. We want an extension. Or they're going to go back to the old Tristan Thompson bullshit. I think we're going to see a lot of Larry Nance. And he's talked about wanting to expand his game, which I don't really know what that looks like. He, he for a long time, and the teams he's played for, the Lakers and now the Cavs, all have said he could shoot. Um, that We don't know how true that really is. Uh, he... Look, I can see that his stroke looks good. Um, he looks like he has the form, but it's a very different thing doing it in practice and maybe once in a while in a game. Um, you know, only hitting that 18-footer pre-hamstring injury last year, which really threw a wrench in, wrench in his season a little bit um, before the playoffs. I, I think that's a concern. I think I think he has to start. I think he's a he's a better long-term fit than than Tristan. I think he's younger. He's He's got the profile to fit really, really nicely with Kevin Love. Um, and we didn't see a lot of it last year. There's very little data on that duo. Um, and we, I think exactly. we just need to see a lot more of it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think for him, if he blows out his game and he attacks and he's, and he does at least one of the things that he's sort of talking about doing, he becomes a really interesting player in a hurry. Um, and, and I think he's going to get the opportunity to do some interesting things, even if it looks really ugly at times. Yeah, he, he's a guy that um, yeah, last season in only 21 minutes per game was the 113th ranked player. So for both Yahoo and ESPN to have him ranked actually outside of that range in a season where he probably gets more minutes is nonsense to me. So he should be a fairly solid lock for the top 100 for this coming season. I think that he, George Hill, and Kevin Love are all quite significant value plays in terms of drafts, whereas you know, someone like Jordan Clarkson somehow is uh, you know, ADP inside the top 140 doesn't make a lot of sense. Where's Clarkson fit now? Because he was almost exclusively a backup point guard last season. Of course, Sexton and Hill are in that role. I don't think Clarkson is very good. I think we saw that exposed pretty significantly in the playoffs. Like, where, where's he fitting on this team? Is he actually going to be an every-night part of the rotation if we've got Smith, Hood, 
uh, Hill and Sexton as the four guards? So my thing with Clarkson is last year he was not trusted to be a point guard. Ty in the playoffs did not want to play him as a point guard and didn't trust him to be the only ball handler on the floor. So in a situation where you're trying to develop a rookie point guard, you have George Hill. Jetty, I think, is a it should be a creator and to some degree. Um, I don't know what this all looks like for Jordan Clarkson. I think he's a two. I think that's just kind of what he is, but he's not a great catch-and-shoot guy. He's sort of still very ball-dominant. There's a lot of concerns there, I think, um, with, with him and, and sort of what he does. You know, and, and I think ideally Rodney Hood's probably best as a two in the NBA. I think Jetty body wise projects more as a two than as a three. So these guys are going to be kind of playing on a position this year anyway. But, you know, do you want to impact it even more with, uh, you know, with, with Clarkson? If it was up to me, I would not be playing him very much. But I, I think the price tag, I think the, the ability to get his own shot will probably get him some minutes. But I, I he's a guy that I would have a very short leash with. Um, I, I just think you can trust him to be like a real dependable rotation piece and, and make the kind of smart decisions, especially if you're playing faster. I think there should be a lot of legitimate concerns about him and, and sort of what he does. Much like Colin Sexton, his game's not all that good for fantasy anyway. Doesn't get any steals. He's relatively inefficient, very low assist guy, and he's just not going to have the same opportunity that he was afforded at times last season in both LA and uh, and in Cleveland. In LA, when he was coming off the bench, he was putting up numbers in limited minutes, but he was shooting at such an unbelievable rate that it was unlikely to stick. It clearly didn't stick, and again, as the potential fifth guard on this team, he's just not going to be seeing the minutes that's going to require him yet or allow him to be that, that useful type of guy for fantasy fantasy situation. So uh, someone like him, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, I don't see these guys really getting much in terms of value. But the last question I want to chuck at you here, Chris, is Ante Zizic and uh, and Tristan Thompson for that perhaps backup center role. Thompson, of course, is is paid more money. He's a proven guy. He knows what he is. Tyloo loves him, won a championship, blah, blah, blah. But of course, he's no part of the future for this team. Zizic showed quite some dominant performances in Summer League. Is there any chance that Ante can move into that backup role or is it going to be dependent on them finding a way to get Thompson onto a different team? I, I think it's possible that he pushes Thompson out of the way if things go badly. I think at that point there's less incentive to play Tristan. I think Tristan just said his salary is going to be really hard to trade in general. I think he's just kind of a guy that that's probably going to be around to the end of his deal. Um, so I, I think there, there's certainly a concern there if you're looking at Zizic being blocked. I also think that he needs he has some work to do. I, I like his offensive game. I like his hustle. I like his rebounding ability, and his, and he's got some really good poise. But he's also a player who I think really kind of has some has been very hit or miss defending the pick and roll. Um, his movement at times has looked really good, but other times he's looked really slow and and out of place in this NBA. So I think he still needs some work. Um, but. I mean, he's at a position where I think you want to try to get him minutes, but I, I will have to, again, this goes back to, we don't really know exactly what Ty looks like as a development coach. You know, I, they, they're saying they want to compete for the playoffs. I think re-signing Kevin Love, um, you know, to the, the deal they did, I think certainly tells you that as well. But, you know, did, what, there has to be room, I think, to get Zizition minutes. And if maybe it's 10 minutes a game, but I, I, I think it's if it comes to the extent of Tristan more than Nance, I think that's the right call. I think it'd be the, the smart call on their part. But we need to, I think I need to see them do it before we sort of know what his, his role is going to be. Um, and if not, I, I, I think that, that's kind of that's troubling. But if, they get, if things get bad for them, he's a guy that I think should be playing a lot more right away. And you just, you just sit Tristan, and even if he isn't happy with it, it's... You know, better for the long-term health of your franchise, I think, if, if you get some minutes in there for this and just find out what you have. You have them under control for a couple more years, but what, what time like the present is hard finding out what you have in, in some of these young guys?
Ante Ziz is just one of those guys as well as if he can work his way into a 20, 21 minute nighter role, which maybe is, is a stretch, but he can come out there, rebound at a really high rate. He's going to be like an, uh, an Ennis Cantor who can block shots. He's not as polished as an offensive player. He's nowhere near that sort of guy, but could be a guy that puts up you know, nine points, eight rebounds, one point two blocks on you, know, fifty six and seventy six percent from the field and from the line in in only twenty minutes, and that actually has real use in fantasy league. So we have to have a look, and we have to pay attention to what what happens with that rotation. But Zizic could be one of those guys who becomes really streamable and can jump into a, a significant type role if he gets the playing time, because that efficiency is really really useful from the field and from the line as well. There's no reason that he couldn't even be a 60, 60%, 75% type of guy, which is extraordinarily useful. We've seen that with Cantor, but he can also block shots as well. So that's an extra string to his bow. And if there is injuries, Nance and Love haven't exactly been the most stable of guys in terms of their ability to stay healthy. And if some reason he's pushed into a 26-minute nighter role, then it's a it's a comfortable, yeah, must-add type scenario for Ante Zizic. Chris, um, thank you for coming on and talking about the Cavs. It is going to be an interesting season. So many question marks. Zizic. Hood, if he comes back, you know, Colin Sexton, what's his role going to be? How does Kevin Love respond? So many different things can happen with this Cavs team. It's going to create quite the fluid situation in terms of all their fantasy value. But at the moment, the way things stand, there is quite a bit of value with this team. If you want to hear more about what's going on with the Cavs, check out Locked On Cavs with Chris. Chris, what have you got uh, going on over at Locked On Cavs at the moment? So we're going to be going into some of the roster breakdowns in the near future, getting into the point guards, every position on the roster, looking at Rodney Hood's situation. Um, and we're also going to be looking back into Cleveland basketball here, not necessarily the Cavs, but we're going to be, t- with the WNBA right now being as great as it's been, um, we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Rockers a little bit, which I am very excited to get into um, because they were uh, one of the original franchises folded around the time Dan Gilbert took over as owner. And you know what? What is what is the what is that team's legacy now? There are some still modern NBA WNBA connections to the Rockers, but they've been they've been gone for a while. And we're what what would what is sort of the legacy of that team? We're going to be getting into that as well. If you're if you're into the WNBA, go and check out uh, Chris over at Locked On Cavs and on Twitter at CWM Rights. Chris, thanks for coming on again. Thank you. Guys, make sure you're following me at RedRock underscore B-Ball and go and leave a five-star rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Give a thumbs up. Leave a comment. You know the drills. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Shady Osman.